because this is what I thought for the longest time. And then I specifically held on to this for a very long time out of stubbornness. The only macronutrient that a diabetic needs to know about is not just carbohydrates. Yes. (laughs) I thought for the longest time and stubbornly held on, all I had to do was count carbohydrates. following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up everyone and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. Welcome back, everyone, to the Die Buddies podcast. Fellow Die Buddies, new listeners, and everyone in between. Uh, Today, Dr. Grady and I are talking about carbohydrates and trying to just understand this important macronutrient that some educators might tell you is the only macronutrient you need to pay attention to, Mm -hmm. Uh, which may or may not be the case, but at least for right now, that's what we're going to be focusing on because it is such a drastic part, not drastic, it is such a major important point of controlling diabetes is carbohydrates. Oh, yeah. Uh, We love them. We hate them, but without further ado, let's talk about carbs. Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So the kind of the main thing that I focus on when I think about carbs is how fast does it hit my bloodstream and how fast does it raise my blood sugar levels? Mm-hmm. And so when we're looking at that, we call that kind of the glycemic index. So essentially what the glycemic index is essentially a scale from one to 100 of how fast the food raises the blood sugar. And this is in reference to glucose. So glucose rates at 100 and then everything else is in between there. So is it relative or is it actually measurable? So it's more relative. So the way they actually find this and um, create this number for each food Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. they take the food that they're testing, 10 healthy people ingest that food, and then they track how their glucose changes over a two-hour period, and then mm-hmm. take those same 10 people and track how their glucose changes when they ingest 50 grams of glucose. And then okay. they you know, put it in a formula, and they come up with the glycemic index of that food. Gotcha. So... Does that mean, what does that mean? So a higher glycemic index means what versus a lower glycemic index? Yeah, so a high glycemic index food simply means that your blood sugar raises very quickly after eating that particular food. And so when you look at a graph of your blood sugar versus time after eating a certain food, if it's a high glycemic index food, the graph will have a big spike and look like a mountain peak where it spikes really fast and has a steep slope and has a typically a, a steep drop off as well. Whereas a low glycemic index food will look more like a hump where it has a slow gradual increase and a slow gradual decrease because it does not raise your blood sugar near as quickly. Sure. So in essence, I mean, if you quickly Google glycemic index, then, you know, the general rule probably most practitioners will say is eat lower glycemic index foods because mm-hmm. it is a higher one. Like you said, you will have a higher spike. So it's almost as if you're a diabetic, you know, you're watching your blood sugar, whether you're via CGM or you're tracking it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we all know what a spike looks like. Yeah. That's what a high glycemic index food does. It creates that kind of spike. Mm-hmm. So in general, you can look up just 
advice about glycemic index and most people will say you should have lower glycemic index foods. Yep. Now it's interesting with glycemic index because it seems kind of intuitive, mm-hmm. but the numbers actually surprise you when you start actually looking out foods. Yeah, they do. They do. There's some that really like jump out at you. Like what the heck? I would have thought mm-hmm. that was much higher. Or some of them are like, mm-hmm. wow, I would have thought that was much lower. And it's also kind of weird on what's considered low. Like I think technically under 55 is low glycemic index. Yep. Which is out of, if you're comparing something to a hundred, which is glucose, that's, it's low if it's at higher than 50%. That doesn't yeah. make sense to me, <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. And I remember I was one time looking up oats for somebody mm-hmm. and you would think oats are oats, you know, they should be the same, but rolled oats like steel cut and rolled oats are like 55 and instant oats are like 83. Mm-hmm. So it's totally different depending on how it's made. And you would think like, oh, instant oats? Yeah, maybe it's a little more processed, but you know, but it clearly yeah. affects your blood sugar way differently than regular oats. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can affect the glycemic index. Like you said, the processing of it is a huge one. How much processing has gone into making that food? Typically, the more processing, the higher glycemic index it has. A perfect example, like you said, was uh, oats, but then also, you know, making a really simple example is juice and fruit. Mm. Take juice, you're really just taking the pure sugar versus with a fruit, you have the fiber and even maybe some fats and things like that in there to help slow down um, Mm -hmm. the digestion and absorption. Mm -hmm. So that can really affect it. So that's kind of a good example of um, how processing can make things higher or lower um, with a glycemic index. Mm-hmm. And glycemic index is, I know we've mentioned that on other podcasts before, it's like every food has a number, like mm-hmm. pretty much. Like I think if you go to glycemicindex.com, it goes to like the University, University of Sydney. Yep. For whatever reason, University of Sydney in Australia like has – really random <laughs> um so if you're from australia we appreciate surprising. you surprising yes yes absolutely but um there's a that's a database and you can literally look up any food any fast food any regular food any grown food like apples are different from other apples like it's it's kind of mm. crazy yeah um so it's almost like if you are getting a response that you aren't sure why you could maybe look at the glycemic index and get some answers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And at the same time, I think it should be pointed out that it can still vary between people. Yes. I think we can agree. Like I described how they find the glycemic index, 10 mm-hmm. people, I feel like isn't a, very big population size to then base a food off of. It's a very small ad for sure. And you never know what they mean by healthy people too. And Mm -hmm. so again, you kind of take it for what it's worth, but then at the same time, you still need your data on yourself to see Mm -hmm. how your body responds to it. I remember I almost, in terms of just healthy people in a study, I remember when I was an undergrad working in a lab, there was a, I think he was a PhD candidate. And he was doing like more exercise science, like muscle fatigue type stuff. And he recruited me to be part of his population for healthy people. Oh, yeah. And um, he's like, yeah, we're going to get you to the lab and we're just going to make you squat a bunch of times and we'll pay you some money. I'm like, yes, <laughs> finally, the squats are paid off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then he found out I was, I was diabetic. He's like, oh, you're diabetic? Never mind. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was going to get money. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, I mean, obviously healthy people, there was criteria for what makes somebody healthier or not. But, mm-hmm. you know, a functional medicine model of what's healthy or just a holistic what's healthy or standard mill, sad American diet healthy. I mean, there's just different aspects, you know, mm-hmm. and you could look healthy. A diabetic can look super strong and healthy, but their A1C could be and their blood sugar could be out of control. In yeah. reality, you know, they're not that healthy. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's just interesting that the glycemic index can be different, like you said, for person to person, because, you know, who, who knows what the reference truly is, as well as who knows how your body actually interprets and digests that food. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it should also be pointed out that those are individual foods. So if you eat only that food, that's the glycemic index for it. It's not mm-hmm. taking it into account with a meal. So like protein and fat can really lower the glycemic index of foods because it slows down the digestive process. Mm-hmm. And so that can you know slow down the absorption into the bloodstream and therefore the spike in blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And then something that I think is talked about less, but equally as important, if not more important, I'm not even sure, it's glycemic load. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so glycemic load is the number that estimates how much the food will raise your blood sugar after eating it. And so it accounts for how much carbohydrate is actually in the food and how much each gram of carbohydrate will raise your blood sugar. So to summarize, glycemic index is how fast it will rise, whereas glycemic load is how much it will rise. A good example of that is watermelon. So watermelon has a high glycemic index, meaning it rises fast, but it doesn't have a large glycemic load because it, in the average serving size, there's not a lot of carbohydrates in watermelon, and therefore the glycemic load is relatively low. In an ideal world, you would have you would eat things that were low in glycemic index and low in glycemic load. Mm-hmm. I think we can both agree on that. Yes. But what really relates to glycemic index and load, you've already kind of said, is how fast you digest it, right? Mm-hmm. And that is can be described differently as simple versus complex carbohydrates, if we're just mm-hmm. talking about carbohydrates, right? So this is a very important concept for diabetics to understand, type 1, type 2. I mean, mostly type 1, but or just everyone in general, too. I mean, simple versus complex is important. But... For type one specifically, when it comes to treating low blood sugars, like that's that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. But before I get into the you know a little more usefulness of it, simple carbs you are going to digest fast. Like all a carbohydrate is, is different or additional molecules of glucose or a different sugar repeated over and over and over in a chain. Like literally, think about a chain fence or chain links like chains that are coming off of a ghost for some whatever reason, like it's literally a chain and that's what a carbohydrate is, right? So a simple carb is just one link in that chain. And that could be a saccharide, which is the biochemical word for sugar. Mm -hmm. So it could be one saccharide, a mono meaning one monosaccharide. And there's three basic monosaccharides. That's glucose, fructose, and galactose. Those are the three simple, basic monosaccharides. So what a simple sugar is, like table sugar, sucrose, is just the combination of one glucose and one fructose that are linked together in that chain. So the more simple it is, is the less actual links there are. So if it was just fructose and glucose, that is a disaccharide, just two sugars, period, that's it. Like that is a simple sugar. Mm-hmm. Now compare that to starch. Starch foods are complex, but all starches is instead of one or two glucoses attached to one another, it's like 18 to 20. No, I that it. is, so it's just a much longer chain of that, mo- of that original saccharide, of that original sugar. So because it's a longer chain and longer links or in longer bonds, you know, if you want to think about it chemically, it's going to take longer to digest because those enzymes have more places to digest and break bonds. Mm -hmm. So wrapping it back in a simple sugar, you will digest fast because there's like one thing, one part of the chain to break where complex carbohydrate, there is more chains to break. So it takes longer to digest. Does that make sense? Yep. Perfect. Cool. So clinically, with a type one diabetic or a dysglycemic or hypo, you know, hyperreactive to low blood sugars is you need to have simple carbohydrates. You need to have simple sugars. The reason being is your blood sugar is dropping low fast or it's just dropping low. You want to get it up as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. We know we've already talked about how low blood sugars can damage the brain, 
all those types of things. So you want to be, you want to avoid the low by not going too crazy, but you want to avoid the low as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So you want to have simple for the most part, you want to have simple sugars. And that's why I personally usually have glucose tabs on me wherever I go. Mm-hmm. Cause I know I could pop one, two or three of those. Sometimes it's depending on the situation, maybe four or five. Um, but those are all simple and I'm going to digest it fast compared to a fruit bar or, um, what's so many, um, what, the, what are the bars that are made out of dates? Lower uh, RX bars. Oh, RX. Like I, I was working with a patient, a, a type one patient that for her low blood sugars or using Laura bars. Oh yeah. And I was like, I love Laura. I personally love Laura bars. I think they're great. I don't think I mean, I've ever had one. Really? Yeah. Oh, they're, oh, I think they're good. But, um, Especially since I'm addicted to bars, you know, you know, Grady. Grady has been trying to get me to cut out bars from my diet ever since he met me. <laughs> Not necessarily bars themselves, just the bars that you specifically have. <laughs> but they're gluten free, Grady. Yeah, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get we'll get to those topics eventually. Uh, everyone's got their vices. Uh, mine's peanut butter on gluten free crap bars. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so, you know, for a low blood sugar, you want something that's faster than a lower bar. Mm-hmm. You know, you want something that is going to be digestible fast and then can get in you like a juice box. You know, mm-hmm. that's what you go to more juice in general. You know, that that's way different and has a higher glycemic index than something compared to other fruits or pizza. You know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't make any sense to have a low blood sugar and eat a bunch of pizza like that doesn't yeah really work that way yeah and at the same time thinking about it from an almost preventative measure is to prevent yourself from getting a low blood sugar eating something that has a lower glycemic index Mm-hmm. And, or making something have a lower glycemic index by adding protein or fats into it mm-hmm. or adding more complex carbohydrates because those will be slower digesting and therefore you get a more sustained release of sugar into your bloodstream versus that quick spike and quick drop off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, there's a time and place for it, for it all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we kind of already mentioned with example of oats, right? You know, one has a different effect of the other yep. and it's based on the carbohydrate content. Right. And so, you know, fruits in general, fruits will have a higher glycemic index than, you know, whatever. And that's why fruits, that's really why I have fruit. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I eat fruits for the antioxidants like berries, blackberries, things like that. Um, but mostly for me, I try to have fruit for my low blood sugars when I can, cause it's the most natural. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of save, most of my meals, I want something lower in glycemic index, like you said, and have with protein and, you know, whatever. So my blood sugar is more stable. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where that glycemic load concept comes in. You know, it doesn't raise it fast. It's kind of distributed more throughout that two-hour time frame. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, so simple versus complex carbs really ties into the glycemic index that way. And, um, and that's why also knowing that when you did just eat, I think we had an example in a previous podcast where you are super full. That's not a time to have more complex carbs. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a low, like 15 minutes after you eat, you eat and you're bloated. Like obviously you got food coming on deck. Like, mm-hmm. you know, no need to just keep eating the same thing. That doesn't make a lot of sense either. Yeah. So. And along the lines of those complex carbohydrates is fiber. Mm. So fiber is one of those things that, is harder to break down and therefore Mm -hmm. in our bodies we essentially essentially is part of the plant that our bodies can't digest or absorb easily into the body so you have two forms of fiber you have insoluble fiber which just means that it doesn't uh, doesn't dissolve easily into water and therefore it creates a concentration gradient in the gi tract which is why you start to have loose stools if you have too much fiber. So a concentration gradient essentially just means that you're pulling water from your body into the lumen of your GI tract. And therefore, 
you're getting more water in there. And so things slide through much easier. And lumen being the inside of the GI tract. Yes. Gotcha. So we also have soluble form of fiber. And what this does is it does dissolve into water. And in your GI tract, it creates kind of this really viscous or thick type of fluid that flows very slowly. And mm -hmm. so that's how it can kind of slow down digestion and, and absorption of carbohydrates and therefore increase or sorry, decrease the glycemic index or make it not spike as much. Mm. If that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Now, I, when I hear fiber, my first thought is, is makes you poop. <laughs> helps with poop. And I've heard of this, like, um, you know, feeding your bacteria, this prebiotic idea mm -hmm. of fiber. Yep. Um, and that's where the soluble fiber comes in. That's, that's what the gut bacteria typically like to feed off of is that is soluble. soluble. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Because they can actually eat it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And I'm, I know we're going to talk about the gut microbiota and um, all that fun stuff eventually. Mm -hmm. but, um, but right now, as it relates to controlling our blood sugar, you know, thinking about fiber as slowing down that digestion time to ease that glycemic burden is, is a pretty crucial point. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So switching gears here a little bit. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about fructose because that's kind of a big topic with some people. Um, sure. And it can be confusing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fructose has been studied a lot and a lot of different ways, a lot of different concepts. Um, I'm going to try to do my best to say it in a linear fashion, but uh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we already kind of talked about the idea that fructose is a monosaccharide. It is a basic sugar. It is has the same number of carbons as a glucose molecule. And so it, in terms of its size, it's pretty similar to a regular glucose, but its shape is different. Uh, glucose is more like a hexagon or it can be, you know, when it's in a ring form or, but fructose is more of a pentagon. So it's got like five sides to it. And, you know, that might seem like a small difference. Like, oh, same, same number of carbons. Like it's the same, like, structure essentially but different shape but that shape and that makes all the difference in the world actually um, and when you get to the biochemistry of things uh, structure equals function and mm -hmm. so we, because fructose is is different it's it acts differently right so we have this monosaccharide fructose that probably from a digestion point of view and catabolism, which catabolism just means breaking down. It's the major difference is that pretty much every cell type can break down glucose, right? So after you, you normally you will eat food, you mechanically digest it, you chemically digest it, you transport it, and then it goes into the cell and then the cell can use it for energy. Mm -hmm. And that cell to use glucose for energy, that's the catabolism of breaking it down. Well, fructose can still be used for energy, but the only cell that can break fructose down once it's digested into by itself is the liver. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So where every cell, like second glucose touches a cell type, it has the potential, if it's just pure glucose, to, you know, be absorbed, you know, more or less and can be broken down. That, that's not true with fructose. So you have to digest it and it then has to be transported to your liver which is a much obviously slower process compared to just getting absorbed and breaking it down wherever. Right? Yeah. Boom. We're ready to go. Right. Fructose isn't that way. It's like, Whoa, slow down, buddy. Like <laughs> I, I'm friends with that guy over yeah, there. I got high like, standards here. Yeah. I got high standards. I only hang out with the liver. You know, <laughs> fructose is that guy. Yeah. Okay. And so fructose is only broken down by the liver, which makes it slower. Right. And, so there can be, people can just have fructose intolerances where they just have trouble breaking it down, period. And because it is kind of a different um, point of view. And because glycemic index and blood sugar is based off of glucose, fructose does not raise your blood sugar. So it's weird because we think of fruit as raising your blood sugar mm -hmm. and fructose is literally named after fruit yeah 
but yet fructose doesn't raise your blood sugar. Yeah. Nor does it actually require insulin either. Oh, really? So that's something to remember, you know, mm-hmm. for the background of things at this point. Yeah, so when I you're think about dosing insulin mm-hmm. and you see that, well, I guess they don't really put that on nutrient labels too much. But No, I, it would be really interesting if they did, Yeah, you know, because I know spe- certain people do try to limit how much fructose they have, mm. um, you know, part of specific diets. And so it would be really interesting and easy to do if they just put fructose on um, a label. But then again, you know, nutrition labels aren't the best anyways to begin with. So, (laughs) you know, whatever. Uh, But it would be really cool to see. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually um, took me a while because because of this point, you know, theoretically, a diabetic might it might make sense for a diabetic to be aware of how much fructose is in a fruit compared to others. Mm-hmm. But that's just that's just too much. I don't even know that. Like yeah. I, mean, I don't think about that in my day to day. I just know low blood sugar. Where's the blueberries, <laughs> right? Um, and so, but I found this website um, that will probably post maybe in the show notes um, that that actually describes for a lot of different fruits and even things like milk duds or whatever the different breakdowns of glucose and sucrose and fructose. Oh really? Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, so, that's pretty cool. Oh, it's super cool. Um, so you can actually find it on the paleodiet.com, but they gather this information off of the Nutrition 5 da- database. And so it's they've, bro- they've taken the liberty of taking probably a very complex spreadsheet and making a little less complex for people to read if you're interested in it. Okay. Um, and even if it's not the 100% accurate, it still gets you in the ballpark. So I'm mm. just going to throw out a couple of examples out there, right? So apples, um, the total sugar in an apple, and this is per 100 grams. So I know we're American. We really don't think of grams as weight, um, but this is grams of this substance per 100 grams of the food. So an apple has 13.3 grams of sugar for 100 grams of that apple. Okay. okay. But so that's the total sugar, but an an apple or, you know, in this case on this database has 2.3 grams of glucose specifically, but it has 7.6 grams of fructose. Oh, wow. So, so it has more fructose than does glucose. Mm -hmm. And then I have even, I mean, I guess I mentioned it earlier, but sucrose is a disaccharide that's made up of glucose and fructose together. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, on this list, it then says apples have 3.3 grams of sucrose, which then in your mind, you can maybe break up into add another 50-50% of that to it. But in general, there's more fructose in an apple than there is glucose, right? Uh, I see, yeah. And so I think it's just kind of interesting to understand and, and hear just like it is with glycemic index. That's not something that I know at the top of my head, but I'll look it up and I'm like, okay, that makes a little more sense, mm-hmm. right? So that's just kind of fructose in a general nutshell. Um, but then probably where most people hear fructose is high fructose corn syrup, mm-hmm. right? And we actually, uh, Grady and I had a biochemistry professor um, who was quite the character, but he would always say that high fructose corn syrup wasn't that big of a deal because it was similar to honey, Right. So high fructose corn syrup is a close to a 50-50 mixture of glucose and fructose. But a mixture is different than um, a bond. So it's literally just floating together compared to sucrose, which is fructose and glucose combined. Mm -hmm. And that makes a world of difference. And he was comparing that to honey as well. And honey is also a mixture of fructose and glucose, but it's not... But honey is more natural. There's other sugars in honey besides just fructose and glucose. It's mm-hmm. like 30, 40 fructose, glucose compared to, and then, you know, another 30 of random sugars in it, um, like dextrin and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not the same. I mean, just because the percents are close doesn't mean it's the same. Yeah. Number, one. number two, high fructose corn syrup is made from corn. So corn can be inflammatory to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more processed and it's in everything. Yeah. And so 
Um, it's going to affect your sugar, your glucose levels. It's then going to affect your digestion because it's, you then need to transport the fructose to your liver and that's going to be slow. And mm-hmm. that's why you can feel bloated. And actually a lot of athletes, you know, like in goos and things like that, sometimes need to be careful. And that's why you get upset stomach. If you're like an endurance athlete and you're consuming like those sugary, like cocktail things, mm-hmm. like goos. Because there can be high fructose in that, and it can, uh, that's why that upsets your stomach. Ah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually consume goose a lot when I run um, for stability of my blood sugar. But um, fructose also has the ability then, or studies have shown that fructose has the ability then to affect your blood pressure. Oh, okay. Which is really interesting. Um, and to keep this conversation more lighthearted and not as technical um, mm-hmm. so I'm sure me saying fructose, glucose, sucrose repeatedly without drawing or, you know, I'm sure it's not easy on the ears to begin yeah. with. Uh, so, um, but fructose is, can affect your blood pressure um, in interesting ways as well. Um, and it has to do with uric acid production and things like that. In the yeah. Um, which is pretty interesting. But so fructose can be pretty, can be dangerous. It's not something you should avoid out of fear of a food, but it's something that we as diabetics or we as people, pre-diabetics or people just trying to control our sugar um, need to be aware of. One of the reasons why it can be so dangerous is that it's been shown and linked with things like heart disease, like with type 2 diabetes, with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And so Sticking with that last one, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, is that because fructose has to go to your liver, I mean, it's got to go there, number Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. But the breakdown of fructose um, actually stimulates an increase in lipid or fat production and triglyceride synthesis Mm. simultaneously. Um, So it's been shown to do that. And we've talked about the insulin-resistant mechanism as a pure function of too much glucose and then a normal hormonal response of that you have too much of an input we're going to downregulate the receptor so that way it's not you know it tries to balance it out and that's kind of a normal hormonal resistance pathway mm-hmm. but there's lots of conversations on things that play into that and lipids are shown to also play a role in your insulin resistance yep and so fructose because of this lipid synthesis and this triglyceride synthesis has been shown to affect insulin resistance and then because of that and because now you are producing more fat you are having fructose being uptaken by the liver it's not going to go very far it's going to stick to that liver and that's going to slow down your metabolism and that's going to gunk up your liver and so that's then going to affect your blood sugar because your liver is not working as properly yeah yeah, so that's just to kind of connect some points there. So fructose doesn't need insulin. However, it can still lead to insulin resistance. What? What? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy how the body works. Sometimes we think we have it figured out and then it goes and surprises us. I think one thing that happens naturally in a chiropractic education, if Um, or just anybody can have this viewpoint is that realizing how amazing the body is Mm -hmm. and how little we know about (laughs) the body. And when it comes to like, we we really do like, we like to think we know how everything works, but if that were the case, the United States wouldn't be spending as much money on healthcare and be one of the sickest countries, developing countries in the world. In reality, we are, ability to understand this body and to say we know everything is is pretty ignorant in my opinion. Oh yeah. It's it's very pathetic. Like if you think we like doctors know exactly what they're doing, you would be surprised what is actually going through their mind. Because mm-hmm. it's just like if we actually knew exactly what the body was gonna do when we did something, I mean we could help help somebody heal boom right away. But the trick is figuring out why that person has that problem because there's so so many different things that can lead to so many different things. Right. And there's so many factors that play into that. Mm-hmm. It's not just so many things lead to so many things, but it's like if 
in the scientific method, you try to control everything. Yeah. And there's, but, it's not possible with the human body because we don't know what everything needs to be controlled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there are cases and we, obviously we've done some things right. Cause we, we have progressed and we mm. don't really fight um, infections the way we do. Um, mm. You know, antibiotics are useful when applied appropriately. Mm. Right. You know, so in that type of model, in that acute model, like, I mean, we have figured a lot of stuff out and we have helped our species grow because of it. Mm -hmm. But it's just so, there's just so many things. Once, especially when looking at the body's entire system and how things connect to it and then um, how the mind controls it. Yeah. Um, again, we haven't talked about leaky gut yet, but I was just reading a study this weekend about how the brain through the gut brain axis and the vagus nerve, I'm just throwing out words here. We really haven't talked about yet. Um, but through the vagus nerve has actually, your brain literally controls the intestinal permeability of your gut lining mm -hmm. through neuropeptides. And, and most people are wigging out about the gut brain axis, thinking the gut talking to the brain, but it's just like, no, the brain, like if you are stressed out, your brain will then send signals and make your intestines more permeable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is, because the vagus nerve isn't firing as much as you're in that sympathetic state. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I've seen studies like a while ago even where, you know, they they look at athletes who have concussions and immediately after they will have a leaky gut mm -hmm. because of that gut-brain connection. Mm -hmm. Well, it was really cool about one of these studies was that um, when they were looking at stressful events that affected um, the the intestinal permeability. They were looking at things like public speaking, <laughs> and they literally controlled public speaking. Oh, and wow. they're like, "Yeah, people who public speak, their intestinal lining does change." <laughs> wow, you know, man, um, it makes sense though. Because what do they? They always make the comparison, like, or they do those surveys of what you're most fearful of, and like dying is lower than public speaking. Mm. I, I, we're, we got to reel it back in a little bit. We're not talking about <laughs> carbohydrates anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, yeah, let's move on. There's one more thing I really want to talk about, and then we'll kind of summarize some of the thing, the main points that we talked about. But mm -hmm. I think it's important to talk about sugar alcohols. Okay. So sugar alcohols. Get you drunk. <laughs> nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> But sugar alcohols are something you probably have seen if you look at uh, nutrient labels on the back. You have mm -hmm. probably seen these before. So just to kind of familiarize yourself with these, these are things like sorbitol, xylitol, uh, mannitol, erythritol, uh, isomalt, things like that. There's there's a, probably more than that, but just to get, give you an idea, those are probably the more commons that you'll see um, on a lot of the packages. And companies will use these to then promote or put on their label that it's sugar-free or carbohydrate-free because technically labeling-wise, and this is a whole topic on the um, ethics of labeling, but mm. um, labeling-wise, if it's a sugar alcohol, you technically don't have to call it um, you know, sugar. So that being said these sugars do still affect your blood sugar or these sugar alcohols. They don't affect it to the same degree as glucose does, but it still gets absorbed um, very poorly and slowly, but it still does affect those things. Um, and so there's, you know, debates on how much it does, how much it affects it. Um, the American Diabetes Association recommends as far as dosing for insulin for these sugar alcohols, they recommend doing half of what you would do for glucose. So in other words, really? yeah. So in other words, if you have five or 10 grams of a sugar alcohol, you would take whatever you would take for five grams of glucose. Hmm. I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever actually dosed my insulin based off sugar alcohols. Mm -hmm. And it really comes into play mostly when you over consume or consume a lot of whatever product has sugar alcohols in it mm -hmm. 
when it's that, a lower dose, there's really not too much of an effect. I think a lot of that too is because I, I think sugar alcohols are commonly found in diabetic friendly food, sugar free mm-hmm. food. Oh yeah. So then rem- people are like, Hey, I can eat however much I want. <laughs> but yet your blood sugar still goes up a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I remember my mom, when I was first diagnosed as a teenager or preteen, whatever, she would start, cause my parents love ice cream. They love <laughs> ice cream and they would buy me sugar-free diabetic friendly ice cream and oh, it was low yeah. with sugar alcohols. And I can't even remember if it tasted good or not. Yeah. Um, I'm sure not <laughs> compared to other things, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, th- but that if you do consume, cause I know plenty of diabetics do decide to have diet food and sugar-free food, you know? And so if that is the case, that is something that you do need to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did find it interesting though, cause I found, um, several places that said, and then I went and looked this up on PubMed to see if it was true, but erythritol actually is one of those that actually doesn't raise your blood sugar. Mm. And that's, and that's a pretty common one. I've definitely mm-hmm. seen that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if I've seen that on nutrition labels or just seen that in like textbooks. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that is interesting. But I think one thing, I mean, you kind of touched on and dosing insulin. I think that's kind of a big thing to talk about for us mm-hmm. too. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So taking this information that we've talked about today, glycemic index, glycemic load, and all the things that can affect that, how do we use that to then dose our insulin? Because there's mm-hmm. like just listening to this podcast, there's a lot of things that goes into the head of a diabetic trying to dose their insulin and figuring out how much am I going to take for this food? But then also, how much am I going to take for this meal, the timing of that, and everything mm-hmm. along with that? Um, right. Because it can be very complex in that way. So mm-hmm. um, looking at it from a glycemic index point of view is helpful to understand that number just so you can understand how quick it's going to hit you. Yep. So for something that's going to hit you real quick as a high glycemic index, you might want to if you know how much you're going to eat, you might want to think about dosing some insulin beforehand so you can kind of mitigate that spike. Um, I don't know what your views are on on that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I was just kind of thinking about, you know, how I, I really didn't give much more examples of simple versus complex carbohydrates <laughs> as related to glycemic index or just in general. But like I was thinking about today, um, I was eating quinoa in my meal, right? Mm-hmm. Quinoa is a relatively low glycemic index. It's because it's a complex carb. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's going to start raising my blood sugar around somewhere between 25 and like 35 minutes after I'm like done eating it mm-hmm. compared to, you know, a soda or whatever, something higher glycemic index and has more simple carbohydrates. It's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to spike it up real fast. So Really quick, I just wanted to kind of backpedal and say, if it's grainy, if it's if you think about it as starch, or if you think about it as kind of bulky, chances are it's got uh, it's more complex, and it's probably going to be slower to digest compared to other um, things, um, mm. compared to more simple type foods. Yeah, and but, I think it's also important to point out slow and fast our relative terms. So mm-hmm. good you know, point. slow for you may be faster for me. Mm-hmm. And, and even between those foods, it can be slower or faster for somebody. So um, again, that's why it's important to get that data because um, I would say for me, for the most part, even a starchy food, if I were to eat that by itself is gonna, still going to spike my blood sugar pretty quickly. Sure. And I think, yeah, totally individual. Like if you normally eat a low carb diet and we'll talk about protein in next episode or two episodes from now or something like that. But like when I eat a low carb diet, my body is efficient and super fast and turning protein into glucose, mm-hmm. and raising my sugar from protein. But if I'm not eating a low carb diet, because that just my state at that moment, um, that's not the case. And so mm-hmm. exactly what you said, you know, it's going to change per person and it's going to change on your current state of how you're metabolizing those foods as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's interesting 
So bringing up proteins and fats and how that plays into how you need to think about dosing and timing of your insulin because if you have a lot of fat or a lot of protein, that can really slow down your digestion and therefore slow down that absorption of whatever carbohydrates you're having with that meal. So I know for me, if I have a really high fat diet or high fat meal, I typically have to wait about two hours before my blood sugar starts to finally spike on me. Really? Even if like, so you have a high fat meal and some carbohydrates in there, Mm -hmm. you, you literally don't dose until two hours later. I might take like a a very small fraction at the time, but I usually wait like two hours to then actually take my insulin. So let me take this opportunity then to to say this very clearly then, because this is what I thought for the longest time. And then I specifically held on to this for a very long time out of stubbornness. The only macronutrient that a diabetic needs to know about is not just carbohydrates. Yes. (laughs) I thought for the longest time and stubbornly held on, all I had to do was count carbohydrates Mm -hmm. and I was good. And if you do that, you are asking for a recipe of highs and lows, ups mm-hmm. and downs, roller coasters and yo-yos. Yep. And it is going to be so much harder if you hold on to that fact because it's not a true fact. Mm-hmm. And so as a diabetic, it's really important then to understand not just carbs, but like you said, how fat affects it, mm-hmm. how protein is going to affect it. And we'll talk a little bit more about specifics of protein and fat later, but absolutely changing. And that's why I love the pump so much because I, pumps – have dual and square wave and other features Mm -hmm. of how it changes the rate of giving you insulin, which is what your body does. A normal functioning pancreas that has beta cells will change the output of the insulin based on your meals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember growing up and I'm like, I had those functions on my pump. I'm like, why would I ever use these? This is making mm-hmm. sense because right. like, that's all I thought about was carbohydrates. I didn't think about what fat and protein did. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's, that's where we talk about getting low right after eating. Mm-hmm. And then you're so full there. You're like, what the heck am I going to do mm-hmm. in that situation? At least for me, it was usually when I was eating something really high fat and really high, high carb at the same time. So I'm taking a lot of car- taking a lot of insulin for those carbohydrates, but my body's not ready for that insulin yet. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, I even remember stubbornly holding on and not looking into those functions um, as a teenager because I just I only wanted to be carbohydrates and I wanted <laughs> to be normal. No, oh, yeah, I wanted to fit in with my friends. I wanted to fit in with the people around me and say, I can do anything that you can, which is true. Mm -hmm. But all I have to do is count the carbs. I'm good. Yeah. And when I eventually sat down and I was real with myself, it's, I mean, there's plenty of other things to consider. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you are going through that and just saying, you know, I can do anything a normal person can, which is very true. The goal is not to change your life, but to live the best life as a diabetic best life that you can as an individual, but that comes from taking the power of saying, you know, what, what else is in this besides carbohydrates? Yep. So yeah, let go. (laughs) (laughs) Let go. Yep. Um, And then when it comes to then dosing the insulin, you know, there's that carb to insulin ratio Mm -hmm. that doesn't just work as, Oh, I'm like 50, like this will raise me like 50 units. I should take a unit of it or 50 milligrams or, um, I know other parts of the world uses, you know, this decimal system of like 5.2, 5.3, this conversion. But here in America, we use the milligrams per deciliter. So, you know, if you, it doesn't work that like, oh, I know this is going to raise me 50 to 100 points in my glucometer. So I got to take two units. It doesn't work that way. Mm. You need to know the equation that you and your endocrinologist and you and your diabetes care team come up with you at that point. Mm. at least initially, and then you can toy with it from there. Yeah. And those things change. Like mm-hmm. they can change pretty fast depending on what state your body's in. So if you mm-hmm. all of a sudden pick up an exercise re- regimen or you start intermittent fasting or doing something massively different, 
you probably are going to need to adjust those things. And right. that's where, that's where we talked about a long time ago. A diabetic almost needs a doctor's level understanding of blood sugar regulation because mm -hmm. you almost have to be your own doctor to some degree because if you wait another two months because you see your doctor every three months, if you wait another two months to then change that, that's you can fall into a lot of health concerns. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, you know, if you're not in the health field and you're not actually getting a doctorate, mm -hmm. um, you should find an endocrinologist or find doctors and a care team that want to support you and educate you and empower you. Mm -hmm. Because doctor has a Latin root, which means teacher. Mm -hmm. And if they're just telling you what to do and they're not teaching you how to do it, then it's, you know, then you're not going to go very far. Yeah. You give, you give a man a fish, you know, he'll eat for a day, teach a man how to fish, you know, or woman, you know, they'll eat for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's really important to you. So understanding that carb to unit, carb to insulin ratio, using that function as a, a starting point, and then learning how to use the other functions like square and dual and learning how then to, if you need to split it, you know, I really mm -hmm. wish, I wish, I don't know why these pumps don't have this function. I would love for a function just to be like, all right, I'm going to give 15% right now, then 30%, 30 minutes later. And then yeah. like 20, <laughs> like there's, I don't understand why that's not possible. Yeah. Like I, sh I feel like it totally should be. Why do we mm -hmm. not have this technology? We I have the technology for, Google AI to listen into everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My pub should be able to divide percentages like that. Yeah. Well, you know, it can be done. It's just a software thing. It's just, you know, why is it not a thing? I'm going to make my own pub. Yep. <laughs> Do it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make my own pub someday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, figure it, knowing that carbon unit ratio, knowing how to calculate on top of your head um, or be able to, plug in your pump is important and um, same thing with the correction factor, but that's a little different of a topic. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I think, you know, to kind of summarize at least my thoughts is getting the data. Like we always talk about getting the data. So that means blood sugar, checking your blood sugar, whether that's with the finger sticks or with the CGM or, and, or you also need to get data on food and how it affects you. So, making sure that you're tracking, you know, what foods you're eating and how it's affecting it, but then also using the resources, whether that's a booklet. I used to carry around a booklet of what carbohydrates and fats and proteins were in the calorie King. It was. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what the diabetes education team, like the standardized to give. When you're yeah, I think so. Cause I had the same thing too, which is, there's an app for that now for calories. Yeah. Well, Anyways. And, and you have like fit, my fitness pal and you have like mm -hmm. a ton of apps that you can access, but mm -hmm. um, anyways, yeah. I interrupt you. You were going no. on a good spiel. I'm sorry for interrupting. You. And now you're good. But excited. yeah, getting that data of the food, how your body reacts and not only that, but then what your blood sugar is and where it's going. That's how you really nail down and get better control is by having all that data that you can reference off. And then it, the more your data you get, the more you're storing it in your head and the easier it becomes to then calculate and say, okay, uh, this is coming up or this meal is coming up or I have this activity that's coming up, I need to dose it this way or that way. It makes it a lot easier than go off the fly, so to speak, if you have all that data over a long, longer period of time. Totally, totally. Um, and it comes with practice. Mm -hmm. It just does. Putting in the work, doing it, accepting that you're not going to get it right and just keep trying. Yep. And accepting the truths like you were talking about of mm. protein and fats that are affected and all mm. those things that you may want to deny, but hey, it's a thing we got to adapt and overcome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So to try to wrap things up, Grady, and not keep things as long as last episode, maybe it is, I don't know, I lost track of time a while back, but um, let's do, uh, what bursts your beta cells recently? What is something that just like, Popped your beta cells, even <laughs> though you have none, and uh, and just really grinding your gears, your diabetic gears. Well, I'll go most recently, which was last night. 
and well, I guess early this morning. Mm-hmm. I went to bed fairly late last night, which I wasn't happy about anyways, but mm-hmm. so I was planning on sleeping in a little bit later because I didn't have patience till later in the morning. So I had a little bit more time to uh, wake up, but at like, I think like five, four or five o'clock, my pump starts yelling at me or starts buzzing at me mm. that it's my blood sugar is low and mm. I look at it and oh, I didn't even look at it. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't feel low. So stop yelling at me. <laughs> I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> so I just kept turning it off like okay. over and over again, just kept turning it off. I'm like, and in reality, it's like, just get up and drink something. So it's over with, but like yeah. when you're groggy and sleepy, you're just like, I don't totally. want to get out of bed. Totally. And so that lasted for probably an hour. I just kept turning it off. And then I finally was like, all right, I'll go drink a juice box. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, that leads me into another burst, my beta cells, which is the accuracy of the sensor. Because I checked my blood sugar before I got out of bed just to make sure it was low. Because I, like mm-hmm. I said, I didn't feel that low. And my pump was saying that I was like, in the forties and I checked it and it was at 64. And I think for whatever reason, man, I'd like to hear feedback from our listeners on how accurate their sensors are. But for me, it seems like my sensor on the low end or on the high end will start to become very inaccurate in the middle, Mm -hmm. you know, in between 150 and 80, it's pretty accurate. But when I start going outside those ranges, I have no clue really what it is. And every time I check it, it's either sometimes it's like, you know, 50 points higher. Sometimes it's right on. Sometimes it's lower. And so it's kind of frustrating on that aspect, especially when you're trying to sleep and you're really not that low and it's waking you up. Well, a normal diabetic would say 64 is probably pretty low, Grady. It is. But I can sleep another two hours and be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, it's a, I, you and I have had this discussion and maybe about your interstitial fluid and some other things mm-hmm. that maybe we can actually talk about this like more in depth in another episode. But for me, I think it makes sense when low blood sugar is being inaccurate mm-hmm. um, because there's literally not enough sugar in the capillaries for it to really <laughs> yeah. like measure it, number one. Um, for high blood sugar, for me, I feel like it normally stays pretty accurate. You've literally been 50 points off before. Sometimes more. Like I'll be... Because my settings on my pump tell me they alert me when I'm at 180. Yeah, that's the, that's the lowest high yeah. you can get. Yep. I think because mine's at that's at the same thing too. Yeah, so it's set at that, and sometimes when I'm at that, and I check my blood sugar, I'm at like close to 300. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, when I, I when I get to one, when I start creeping above 150, I'm like. I bet you I'm like 200 or above. Cause I think, cause I think they, I'm pretty sure the recommendations is you shouldn't calibrate it. And it, meaning it's going to be off if you are like have double arrows, like if mm-hmm. you're dropping and you're changing fast, the rate of that change, it's going to be not accurate, mm-hmm. but that's crazy that you'll yeah, be, but say I also never have like double arrows. I'll sometimes have one arrow, but that's even a rare occasion. The Adonis of blood sugar. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Never has double arrow. I think I had like double arrows that like at least two times today. <laughs> Which is part of my burst, my beta cells is that uh, it was just frustrating because uh, yesterday was the AFC NFC football games. Oh, yep. And I was watching with some friends. I was enjoying myself. A little more human than the Donis, the robot Grady. And uh, we, we know you're not a robot Grady. I'm not trying to alienate you. Um, but, you know, so I was I was having some beer, even that it wasn't like ciders or, you know, oh, gluten-free man. stuff. It was, it was regular beer. Um, and I think that's what really messed me up was that, uh, first of all, we were, I was having maybe a little too much. I was having a little too much fun for a Sunday night. <laughs> but... 
additionally, just what burst my beta cells is today, just how crazy it was affecting my blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And it was noticeable because on my pump, on my CGM, it was squiggly. It was kept going like up oh, and down. Like it was really? kind of like staying around like 140, but it wasn't 140 flat. It was like, it would kind of go up and down, up and down. It was like mm-hmm. more squiggly. Like if, you know, you had a tremor and you're trying to draw a straight line, like it looked like that as yeah. it was going up and down. And then it would be, have these random, and it was just frustrating because, um, you know, with me, I just wanted to kind of enjoy the moment, which I was, and I'm, I don't necessarily regret it, but it burst my beta cells in that like, I was also, I was kind of sluggish today. I was more tired on my feet today. My blood sugar was a little more wild. Mm-hmm. Luckily in the clinic I was in, there was some, um, golden seal, which, you know, is related to berberine, which we've talked about. And so mm-hmm. they able to pop that. And that kind of helps because it was, it was going out of control, especially in the morning. And, um, I was fine when I woke up. So it was just burst by beta cells that like things like that can happen. You, know? mm-hmm. you can be human, you can make mistakes have fun you don't necessarily regret it but the next day it's like man like i just wish this was just more predictable mm-hmm. and um yeah so, that reminds me a lot of the last time i had pizza well, you've had pizza before yeah, i know right this is before... like, i'm not even to be like try to be like a jerk like i, yeah. did, I did not think that oh, I yeah. touch before it. before i went to chiropractic school i was like well i mean i started eating healthier a little bit before that but like mm-hmm. You know, in undergrad, I played football, college football, and I mm-hmm. played on the line. So I had to eat as much as possible just to maintain my weight. Which is crazy to think you were heavyweight. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily good stuff. So I would eat pizzas, like like whole pizzas by myself. And <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I you know stopped playing football. So I started eating a little bit healthier. I eat, started eating like a normal human being. And then gradually was getting healthier and healthier and hadn't had pizza in a decent amount of time, like several months. And then for whatever reason, there was some occasion where there was pizza. I'm like, okay, I'll have some pizza. And I had, you know, about as much as what I was used to having. So like almost a whole pizza. Mm -hmm. And I was so wrecked for literally an entire week. Like my blood sugar was all over the place for an entire week. I felt physically sick for an entire week after that. Mm. And wow. that is why I never eat pizza anymore. Mm. Like I mm. never even gets into my head that I even want a piece of pizza. Like, oh, don't get me wrong. It, it smells good. And mm-hmm. I know it tastes good. Mm-hmm. But I look at that pizza and I remember that week of hell that I went mm-hmm. through because I sure. eat that's why that's actually why I stay away from donuts. I had a similar experience one day with like I had like three or four donuts in a row and just oh, yeah. for days. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't reel it back in. But uh, for since you mentioned it, for me, I, I feel sorry for you because I definitely don't think about that with pizza. <laughs> As you know, like I'll have gluten free pizza and and I know a magic formula for me. And I'm about to say it, but just reiterating again. Uh, like our medical disclaimer, this is not like me telling anybody what to do. This is just literally my personal experience. Always consult your doctor when figuring out these ratios or when you figure them out yourself. Um, but for me, regardless of how much pizza I have, cause I can eat a whole pizza, I mean, probably pizza and a half, uh, right now. But for me, whatever amount of carbohydrates I have for that, um, I will dual wave it. And so I will, let's say I had 200 grams of carbohydrate from that pizza, which has fat, which has some protein and complex carbs and simple carbs. Um, I will do 35% of that value of that carbohydrate at that moment. And then 65% of the rest of it over 90 minutes. And that literally every single time I'm like, perfect i'm like heck yes <laughs> hell yes and that deserve a hell yes not even a heck yes hell yes <laughs> i'm like I, i'm like i always like strut around like i eat pizza and my blood sugar is good <laughs> so that that doesn't burst my beta cells that reforms my beta cells <laughs> um but uh anyways no it might quite literally burst your beta cells yeah yeah, for regular people <laughs> that actually have beta cells it might actually burst them yeah it might be an abuse of my math power. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but anyways, for anyone that, 
has listened to this whole podcast, uh, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. If you have any feedback, you know, let us know. We're really excited to continue this. The feedback we've heard from random listeners already, as well as um, our friends, um, you know, we appreciate you listening. Um, and until the next one, you got anything else, Doctor Grady? I'm all talked out. All talked out. All right. Well, thanks everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Die Buddies Podcast. Peace. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found value in today's conversation, we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review. It really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on the Die Buddies podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or moral outrages, you can email us at thediebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.